Women on the Rise is supported by The Riveter, a modern union for working women, offering content, community, and co-working spaces, all designed with a focus on women and work. I've been a member of The Riveter since nearly the beginning and have proudly watched them expand from Seattle to cities around the country. You might even remember that their CEO and founder, Amy Nelson, was my very first guest on this podcast. Countless collaborations and friendships have come from my kitchen conversations and post-event chats with my fellow Riveters, both women and men. The Riveter believes that equity and opportunity should be a reality, not a promise. Visit www.theriveter.co to learn more. And by Armoire. Do you love variety but hate the clutter and expense of new clothes? That is totally me. So I just signed up for Armoire, a clothing rental service for today's boss lady. Armoire gives me access to designer clothes I can exchange on my schedule for a flat monthly fee. I get access to a guilt-free flow of new clothes without the hassle of shopping or dry cleaning. You can ask anyone. I hate shopping. Women on the Rise listeners can try Armoire today for $100 off your first month using code WOTR100. That's WOTR100. Visit www.armoire.style to get started. I mean, we talk a lot about one team, one dream. And I, I wish and women would just keep that in mind. Like we have to help each other out. And this benefits all women if we help each other with self-care, if we share information. And I think being really honest with each other too. You know, I see so many, it seems to be more women who on social media try to look like everything's perfect in the personal life and everything's perfect at work. And I think it's okay to be a bit vulnerable too and be like, hey, I'm struggling with this thing. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm executive coach and lifestyle expert, Lara Dolch. And each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, mindset, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover new insights that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Hey, podcast listeners, happy November. We are almost at the end of season six of Women on the Rise. I've got two more new episodes for you, this one and the one next week before we take a break from production for the holidays. So if you haven't rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit pause and do that now. As you know, if you've been listening the past few weeks, we're trying to get to as many five-star ratings and reviews as possible before the end of the year, 75 or more to be exact, and we still have a little way to go. If you love the podcast, I consider it a personal favor if you took a few minutes to rate and review it now. It truly does help the show. This week's guest has the distinction of making me entirely rethink the idea of self-care and balance for women leaders. You may not notice it in the interview, or maybe you will, but I was at a loss for words for at least a few seconds when she pointed out one of the pitfalls of talking about self-care in the workplace. And while she fundamentally believes the same thing that I do, that taking care of ourselves allows us to be our best at work, Christy Johnson has seen the self-care conversation backfire for women leaders. 
With a resume that includes building four businesses, developing corporate strategy at McKinsey and Company, and teaching entrepreneurship at the University of Washington, along with a National Teacher of the Year Award during her first career as an economics and mathematics teacher, oh yeah, and a devoted mom, Christy has a unique perspective on the idea of balance and whether or not it's even possible. We talked about how Christy successfully shifted from public high school teacher to management consultant to entrepreneur and why she did it. The trade-offs Christy makes when juggling her roles as entrepreneur, educator, and mom. Why being busier might help you find more balance if you do one thing well. And what happened when Christy got real with a male mentor about her limitations at work while pregnant and the opportunity it opened up for both of them. Before we get to the interview, I want to give another quick shout out to my friend Michaela Kiner, a previous guest on this podcast, who connected me with Christy Johnson. Christy is one of 13 women featured in Michaela's upcoming book, Female Firebrands, Stories and Techniques to Ignite Change, Take Control, and Succeed in the Workplace. In the book, Michaela digs deep into Christy's career story and gets her take on a variety of issues facing women in the workplace, from Me Too to Privilege to Sending the Elevator Back Down. You can pre-order Female Firebrands on Amazon now, just FYI. Enjoy my chat with Christy. So Christy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Yeah. And I'm especially excited to talk to you since you are featured in uh, my friend Michaela's upcoming book, Female Firebrands. And that's obviously how we connected. So uh, I'm I'm just especially excited to hear about your story. And um, I think it's going to be really valuable, especially since you've had an interesting career path. I'd love to start with that, actually, since you started out in education and, and obviously have moved on to business and entrepreneurship. Can you talk a little bit about how that all happened? <laughs> Absolutely. And that's a big question. <laughs> I know. And, and I'm sure it doesn't surprise you. I get asked about this a lot because I was a public high school teacher. I didn't go through Teach for America. Uh, and you know, I actually love that job. It's still one of the hardest jobs that I've ever had. But there are a couple of things that I was wanting to do. So Definitely wanted to help folks. Um, I love the subject of economics and math and was thinking that public school would be a way that I could help a lot of different people have access to it. And then I had done a little bit of work even during my undergraduate around helping diverse talent thrive in those different areas. And what was interesting was then, you know, I enter the public school system. And I'm like 23 years old, hardly know what it is I'm doing. And the district that I'd worked with had received a round of Great Gates Foundation grants. And so we were handed these consultants. And, and I'll share a little bit of this story because it actually ended up being quite formative, although I didn't realize it at the time. So we were handed these consultants and they were there to help us figure out our strategic plan. And then you take brand new teachers who, again, are trying to figure everything out and you put them on these committees. That's kind of how public schools tend to work. And then all these older teachers are like, just wait, the consultants will go away. We'll get a binder. We'll ignore it. We'll put it on the shelf. And... <laughs> And I found this whole strategic planning process really fascinating, like getting to think through system-wide, what is it that we could do to help more kids and help more families? And it was a really important thing. And then at the same time, I started doing some work around Washington State and focus on economic education and did a little bit internationally as well. And was really realizing there's just a wide disparity amongst our schools, like definitely in this state. And then if you look nation and worldwide, for sure. And I didn't, I didn't feel equipped. I didn't feel like I understood 
kind of system change. And, and then there was a whole bunch of things that happened with my school. Like this was when suicides were starting to come into play. And it was like emotionally very hard. Um, and so grad school had always been in my plans. And this amazing mentor I had said, you know, you should think about doing an MBA or a PhD. That's probably going to have a bit more credibility and let you do more system change than a master's in ed. And so I ended up doing, you know, the MBA because it was two years. <laughs> and um, and business seemed like a really good way to think. And I, I, I was appreciating kind of the blurring of the public, the private, and the non-profit sector. And I realized I didn't know anything about business. So that's why I ended up going there. Yeah, that's so interesting, actually. That's come up um, with one of my other guests this season, uh, Anna Robinson, actually, in terms of blending the the nonprofit and the social justice and, you know, all of those sort of more outward facing things with, with business and, and sort of blending the two and how effective that can very much be to your point in terms of creating system change. So I love that it, that it's, that it was part of what informed, you know, your career path. So, you know, I was actually, you know, going to ask you in terms of the, how intentional versus serendipitous your experience was. And it sounds like, like a, a lot of us, it was a bit of a combination. Can you talk about maybe some, um, people that you met along the way or experiences that you had that, you know, besides the, one that, the ones that you've already mentioned that, that steered you along your path to where you are now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that there are a few things that were intentional. So the way I grew up and I, I adore my parents um, and I grew up in a small town called Ferndale. It's about 10 minutes from the Canadian border in Northwest Washington. So they, they instilled in me a love of learning. Like we always had access to books. Um, we always had uh, library days were a big deal or going to the bookstore and then helping people. So those were like just core values that were part of, of what was in my family. And, and from my career path standpoint, I was thinking, well, how can I help people and how can I help the most people? And then how can I keep learning too? So there was some intentionality and it was pretty young age where I'd start to carve out kind of quarterly time to be like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> is this, is this the path that I want to be on that was, really intentional. And then there were definitely some serendipitous moments, you know, I think including choosing to go to grad school and doing the MBA. And it was this conversation on a Sunday night with my husband where he's like, you have decent GMAT scores. Why don't you do what you tell your students to do? Apply to your dream school, which ended up being Stanford. And I mean, it was that spontaneous of a decision. I was round three, which they don't recommend. I remember working on the essays because it was close to the deadline. And then the whole time we were like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, you got an interview. Oh no, you got in. Like this was not in our life plan. Um, and I actually ended up paying the deposit at Stanford and UW and agonizing for the summer about like what I should do. And I think I, I chose Stanford for a whole host of reasons. UW is a fantastic school too. But that was one of those serendipitous moments that like dramatically changed the trajectory of my life in a, in a whole host of ways. And so, I mean, he's obviously like been a huge supporter and fan of my career and personal life. And there have been other mentors. I mean, I think back even, you know, to high school teachers. I went to Western Washington University where you actually have access to the professors because it's not an R1 school. And so there are professors there that pulled me into some research. And my first boss, you know, when I was at Bellingham High School and different teachers that I worked with there, different people at McKinsey. And when I reflect back on like how they helped with the career, you know, I think they would often notice something in me that I didn't realize was a strength. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, so I remember sure. like a professor saying, hey, you seem to get econ, like this seems to come really naturally to you. And I'm like, oh, it's this beautiful discipline. I love it. Or different partners in McKinsey saying like, hey, you seem to be good at doing this kind of thing. 
like, have you thought about specializing there? And I, I don't know if I would have if somebody hadn't pointed that out to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I've had certainly people in my life who pointed those things out. It's so hard for us to see our own stuff, as it were, both both the positive things and sometimes the more detrimental things. I mean, that's part of why I, you know, became a coach is because part of my work is to help people see those things in on in both um, capacities. And I find that women, in particular, I mean, obviously that's that's who I work with, but that women in particular have a hard time seeing where they shine and, you know, whether it's sort of this imposter complex thing or or whatever, but I think it often, um, for better or worse, takes an outside party to, to shine a light on that. And it sounds like that was really, um, helpful for you. Were those things that you, that you were also seeking out those relationships? Yeah. And and I think it's interesting, right? Again, it goes back to that loving of learning and wanting to be helpful. So I, it, there was, I, I remember when I was at McKinsey, I would see partners. I was like, oh, your work sounds so cool. Or like, you're doing this thought leadership on, on that. Like, do you need help with something? I would love to learn a little bit more. So that often is what I think helped. And then, you know, I've asked people because, gosh, I'm four years into running my own company, which has been a great adventure. And there's been amazing people who helped me out. And you recently have been reflecting a little bit more on this question of like, why did you, why did you choose to help me out? Why are you so generous with your time? And, you know, they, they say that the fact that I ask, right, and that I can be somewhat specific and I've done a little bit of homework before I ask them. And then I actually do something and I come back and I thank them and tell them what I did, that they, they appreciate that. And they find that, you know, lots of times people won't close the loop or won't, won't ask. So I think that might be part of what's happened. I'm not sure. Yeah. No, I can, I can totally relate to that. Cause I, you know, the, the love of learning is a big piece of my experience too. In fact, I was just finally getting around to reading Brene Brown's Dare to Lead, which I had, I had read some of her other work, but not that. And, you know, one of the processes that she leads people through and that is getting really clear about your, just your top two core values. Like often we talk about having, you know, four or five different sort of guiding values, but, you know, sort of honing it into two. And I worked, I was working and thinking through that over the course of a couple of weeks and learning is one of the ones that came up for me too. And I do think that's right. Like you're more, you're curious, right? So you're, you're like, tell me about this thing that you're, and that can often lead to other things that you wouldn't have been able to anticipate. And I, you know, for any listeners who are sort of looking for their path, I really encourage them to try to develop that curiosity. Cause to your point, it, yeah, it opens up doors. It's, it's a, it's, and it's something that you can cultivate, I think, for sure. Do you think that that same characteristic has helped you in building your own business and and stepping into entrepreneurship? Oh, that's a good question. I think so, because (laughs) I'm learning things each and every day constantly. And so I think just that that's something obviously that I value and also, you know, hit stuff where I'm like, oh, accounting issues in London. Like, I don't know. I've got to figure this out. And it's like, okay, I'll be able to figure it out. So it'll be something new. It'll be a new challenge. So I think that that could quickly turn into stress if I wasn't able to reframe it that way. And I think it has helped me stay really focused with building the business. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't remember what I was looking at the other day, but just the the frame of, of looking at something as a puzzle, like that's been helpful to me when I'm in those situations where as an entrepreneur, where I'm like, I don't know how to do this, but it's a puzzle. <laughs> I'm gonna put the pieces together somehow. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, so, so you went from educator. Well, I mean, you're still in many respects an educator. I don't know if that necessarily ever goes away. Um, 
I was actually a preschool teacher my first job out of college, little known fact. Oh, I love it. I yeah. did not know that. Yeah, totally. So I feel like once an educator, always an educator. But, you know, in terms of your, you know, quote unquote, formal career path, you've gone from, you know, educator to working at McKinsey as a consultant, you know, to, um, I mean, some, obviously some other things. And then also starting your own business. Can you talk about what, you've learned about choices and trade-offs by juggling all these various roles, not to mention the fact that you're a mom and how do you, how do you uh, make those choices? Yeah. I mean, I think this is something I, I actually really wrestled with and it's one of the few areas where I feel like I put a lot of pressure and stress on myself earlier on, um, especially like in my late twenties around, Oh, I've got to figure all of these things out. Cause like there's this career phase of life and then there's going to be a mom phase of life. And and I knew I really wanted to be a mom and it's one of my very, very favorite jobs. And, you know, there's, there's, there was a, a CEO in graduate school that talked about work-life balance and like the myth of work-life balance. And, and it really resonated with me. And I think adopting this has helped me think a lot more about trade-offs, which is <laughs> work-life balance. Like the problem with that term is that it assumes the world's relatively static. Like you can get things in balance. You can put things on the other end of your work and you can put things on the other end of, of um, your life. And what I found is it's very dynamic in both areas and quite unpredictable. And so the better I got at releasing that and like, okay, I'm just not going to have control. And can I integrate work and life in a way that's going to be sustainable for me? And absolutely there are trade-offs for that, right? So for example... I love my kids and I want to do 80% of drop off and pick up. Right. And we have them in a school system where it's like, you know, eight 30 to three 30. And so that means there's a trade off there. Right. So that means that like, it's, I have to end my meetings um, at a certain time or I have to organize my travel in a certain way so I can hit that goal. And I'm willing to do that, even though some people are like, ooh, that schedule seems really grueling or like you're flying a red eye to go to the East Coast. And I'm okay with that for this phase of life because it lets me have this other goal that's super important to me. So I do often think in trade-offs, people are so open to tell you what they do and don't appreciate of your opinions, right? So I get a lot of people <laughs> who are like, you need to be at these breakfasts. You need to be at certain happy hours and dinners and nighttime events. I'm like, not this phase of life, <laughs> right? I'm, I'll do one a week, maybe. Um, and then I'm going to be home with my family. And that's, I, I know that's an intentional trade-off I'm making and I'm okay with that. Yeah. 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 It's, I think that's something I see a lot of women um, in particular have, I'm sure men struggle with this too, but drawing those boundaries and really sticking to them. What have you found helpful in terms of being able to do that? I mean, it's certainly a work in progress. It's silly. This, I mean, there's really this thing on like 80% of drop off and pick up. <laughs> and that like that, for whatever reason, having at least a goal that I'm trying to hit and measure is really helpful. You know, they have this, this thing where they talk about, and I'll, I'll, this will be one of the things I'll reflect with kind of quarterly. I mean, really with your kids, you have, I don't know, not that many weekends, 52 weekends times 18 years if you want to say 18 years are going to want to be with you on the weekends, it's not that much time in the whole scheme of my career. And so that's helped me be a little bit more thoughtful. And then there's been this really odd thing that I did not anticipate happening when I had kids. I've gotten a lot better at prioritizing and saying no. So if it's, you know, if I'm only going to do one breakfast a week or one dinner a week or one, one business development trip to the East Coast, what, 
absolutely needs to happen during that time? And then what's actually not going to have the impact that I want to have? And I, I'm surprised by this kind of prioritization ability to say no, that's much stronger post to having kids than it was before. Yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, it's funny. I, I feel like that makes sense because I, I find that the busier I am, the, the easier it is to prioritize in some respects. Like even though I have more things to do, like you just have to get really clear about the priorities in a way that you don't necessarily have to when you don't have so many demands on your time. You know, you can just kind of like, you know, wing it when you... <laughs> when you're not so time constrained. So I wonder if that exactly. has anything to do with it. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. And then like this opportunity cost, I mean, there's something, there's something to go to outside of work that you find really fulfilling. I think that's actually a great thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it helps make the trade-offs a little bit more clear. Yeah. Yeah. What about sort of this idea of self-care. It's a really broad concept. So I like to ask guests what that means to you personally. Yeah, no, this is a good question. Um, I mean, I tend to think of it as like physically, how am I feeling right now? Mentally, how am I feeling right now? There was, um, I did quite a bit of work in healthcare. And so there were these kind of preventative questions they would ask. That's kind of like that, just kind of self-reported scale of one to five. How are you feeling physically and mentally? That's actually highly indicative of like if you're going to be hospitalized or not. So mm-hmm. I was like, hmm, maybe I should just build that in. So I mean, for me, the self-care is like, am I doing what I need to do to feel good physically? And then am I doing what I need to do to feel good mentally? So I think it is a, a really important piece to keep in mind. What are some of those things that you do? Yeah. I mean, I think number one for me is sleep. <laughs> so uh, Yeah. I feel like uh, that's everyone's answer these days, which is, I think, appropriate. <laughs> It it is well, and I have I have twins. I have twin boys that are five, and um, I did not sleep very much my first the first year. And there was this like six month period where I was constantly losing my keys and losing my purse. And I went to the doctor. I was like, "What is going on?" And she's like, "Are you getting two three hour blocks of sleep at least sometime in the course of a twenty four hour period?" And I was like, "Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't think I have for six months." And she's like, "You need to do that." She's like, "It doesn't have to be six hours in a row. It doesn't have to be seven or eight, but like." try to get two, three hour chunks of sleep in a 24 hour period and you're going to feel so much better. And it's amazing how much better I felt. So I became a little hyper fixated with sleep with that, you know, eating right. I, I find that when I'm, I'm stressed, it's like easier to want to go with caffeine and sugar, <laughs> right? Being outside in nature. I mean, I feel so fortunate. We live in the Pacific Northwest and especially when summertime comes along, just a little bit of time outside in nature really grounds me. Family and friends, physical exercise. I think especially if I'm feeling amped up, like a good workout can help clear that. I love to read. Um, So reading is good self-care for me. And then I also like randomly like to go explore places I've never been before. So I love that, you know, an hour walking through someplace new I've never been, that will help me get out of whatever mood I might be in. Yeah. So things I try to do. Yeah. I find that those, I don't know if this is what you experience with that, but when you're somewhere new, it's you just, you're forced into the present moment in a way that because your surroundings are so unfamiliar, I feel like for me, it helps me get out of my head. Yeah. That's probably what it is. That's great. I haven't thought of it that way before. What is it? What does it feel like for you? Like what, what happens for you in those situations? Well, I think <laughs> my husband makes fun of me. He's like, you that you must have some gene that makes you like new things. I just love new things, <laughs> right? So if it's like <laughs> the new random flavor of Oreo or a new, a brand new place or a new store or like a new park, I don't know. I just, 
love seeing something new. I think it opens up that curiosity too. Ah, uh, that makes sense. There we go. Okay. Yeah. That makes total sense. It's the, it's scratching that, that learning curiosity itch for sure. I can totally see that. So do you think that self-care fits into the conversation, the larger conversation about women's leadership? Oh, I think it's so tricky. <laughs> I go back and forth on this, right? Because, um, you know, I do a lot of work with men um, in kind of more traditional fields. And I self-care that's never come up. <laughs> I've been the only woman on all male teams many, many times. I was like, I guarantee you there's no conversations about self-care that's happening during dinners, <laughs> right? So that's where I go back and forth. Well, you know, what I find is like lots of times the men are talking about deals or like new businesses and new products and new services. And, you know, I sometimes get frustrated in a few of the corporate environments where they'd have special women's sessions. They'd like teach us how to apply makeup or self-care or gravitas. And I was like, but I want to learn how to like do the deals, <laughs> right? I feel like there's, there's stuff I need to learn there and there's barriers and there's a language and there's a network that I don't have access to. And I want to understand that. So I, I kind of go back and forth. Right? Is it is it distracting us from learning what we need to do to play the game? <laughs> and at the same time, it's critically important because nobody's going to care about us as much as we should care about ourselves. So I go back and forth. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting point that it can sometimes, depending on how it's framed, it can sometimes distract from other more, you know, not more crucial, but other crucial business skills. I hadn't actually really considered that. And I um, thank you for sharing that perspective because, you know, I am such an advocate for for self-care in terms of how I see it allow women to be successful. And so I think I can sometimes be blinded to the fact that, yes, that's important. And so is this other stuff, right? And I, and I, I really appreciate that perspective. I'm curious what what you've noticed about the way that you engage in those environments if you're not looking after like well let's just use sleep as an example. Like what happens in terms of the way that you're able to show up in those business environments when you're not looking after self-care? Oh, absolutely. So I mean, I find if I'm not prioritizing the self-care like mentally, I get very scattered. It's hard for me to stay focused. My critical thinking isn't as strong. <laughs> My ability to be creative isn't there. Uh, it's hard for me to be patient. That just I I know that if I don't take care of myself, that I'm not going to show up and be helpful in the way that I want to be helpful. So I think that 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 helps quite a bit. And then you know what I've what I've done recently, and I I think a lot of this has actually come from the freedom of running my own business is I'm very intentional and thoughtful about who it is I work with and who it is I put teams at. Whereas I think before I kind of awoke to taking care of myself that I um, would stay in environments that weren't healthy long enough. And I see women do this a lot actually like, oh, I'm loyal. I can get along with anybody. Like they've helped me out. And actually, like, there's stuff that's not healthy and you're never going to be able to change that environment. So you should get out. And I feel like I've been a lot more intentional with that, which I, I kind of see as self-care. And that's been a, new, a newer realization. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's so, that's so true. I mean, the environment and the relationships, right? I mean, that's... And, and recognizing that, that you can choose to either get out or change them or, and and obviously some people have constraints with that, but I think that's, it's important to pay attention to that 
at the very least and, and control what you can control for sure. How can women support each other in, in reaching our goals, whether they're self-care goals or career goals or life goals? What do you think that looks like? Yeah, I, this is a, another great question. Laura, you're so thoughtful <laughs> of the way you've come up with. I mean, we talk a lot about one team, one dream. And I, I wish more women or and women would just keep that in mind. Like we have to help each other out. And this benefits all women if we help each other with self-care, if we share information. And I think being really honest with each other too. You know, I see so many it seems to be more women who on social media try to look like everything's perfect in the personal life and everything's perfect at work. And I think it's okay to be a bit vulnerable too and be like, hey, I'm struggling with this thing. Like my kid won't stay in their bed at night and I'm getting tired again. And it's hard to take care of myself. Does anybody have any tips? And then I think for the women on the other side, not being judgmental on this kind of like one team, one dream, like, oh, well, here's a couple of things I've tried or what have you tried? So I really think this getting back to the community of women and helping each other out both personally and professionally and then being really honest about where we need help is important. And then I think, you know, work-wise, kind of with that non-judgmental mindset, things like, hey, I have a big presentation next week or I'm getting passed over for a promotion. You know, can I rehearse with you before I go into a meeting? Or will you watch me in this meeting and give me feedback afterwards on what I could have done better? Um, it takes a brave person to to open up to that and then also to ask for and, and listen to the feedback. And I think it also takes a brave person to be willing to give really honest direct feedback on how people can show up differently and better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think that's such great advice um, in terms of just being, especially the being honest part, you know, because I think to your point, social media just exacerbates that whole, like, look, my life is perfect thing. And then, you know, we start comparing ourselves and you know, I mean, the the richest conversations happen when we just admit that everything maybe isn't perfect and, and that that's okay. Um, so thank you for, for shining a light on that. Has there been a situation, can you maybe share a quick story about a time where you were vulnerable in that way and, and kind of how it paid off? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so many things. I mean, I think... <laughs> Actually, probably one of the big biggest moments. Um, so I switched jobs while pregnant with twins. And there's a whole host of reasons why that's not a good idea, <laughs> including you're not covered by FMLA. And I was really debating what to do. Um, I hadn't been thrilled with this job that I had uh, when I found out I was pregnant with the boys. And my old boss, who had been a great mentor and is still a great mentor, would had called me for every three months for kind of a year and a half, two years about like, hey, I have a job for you. Hey, I have a job for you. And he called me kind of right when this thing had happened at work and some comments about me being pregnant. And then it was the perfect time basically for him to reach out. And so he's like, I really want you to take this job. It'll be great for your career. You'll manage a bigger P&L, which you need to do. You'll manage skip levels of an international team. And I was really honest with him. I was like, you don't want me right now. Like, I am not 100%. <laughs> I'm distracted. I'm only going to get more pregnant. Um, I don't know if they're going to come early. Like, there's just all of these things. And he was so great at saying, like, look, I take your 90%. Like, you should take this job. And here's why. And I'll support you with it. And I'll be hard on you. Um, and it was really important professionally. And I also think it opened up this window, you know, where he talked a bit about trade-offs he made with work and with family. And it, it helped me have a lot more empathy that men actually are dealing with some of these issues too, which is much, much harder for them to talk about it. 
So I was glad that I was super vulnerable. I actually ended up taking the job because I was, I had so many doubts about myself and my ability and I knew I wasn't up to my high expectation of what performance should be. And he was okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that it also opened up that dialogue, like you said, that it gave him an opportunity to, to self-disclose in a way that maybe he wasn't able to do with, with others. So that's, that's such a great example. Thank you for sharing that story. So as we're kind of wrapping up, can you tell people where they can find you or connect with you online? Oh, sure. I mean, absolutely LinkedIn. It's just Christy Johnson. Um, <laughs> and then the other part is, you know, the Artemis Connection website. So we do have a newsletter. This is where really some of the things that we're finding around diversity, equity, and inclusion or healthy workplaces. So that's another place where people can subscribe. Thanks for asking. Yeah, of course. And I'll put those links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for your time, Chrissy. This is really great. I appreciate your sharing your, your personal experience. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so glad you reached out. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. If you're ready now to wake up with the energy, clarity, and confidence to take on your goals, visit lardolch.com slash women on the rise to get a few resources I pulled together just for Women on the Rise listeners. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit lardolch.com slash podcast. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. It's a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Oh,